everyone, and welcome to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. It's good to be with you today and share with you. I was off for a, a couple of days. I need to share with you, though, before I begin today, uh, I broke a rib on Friday. And um, so if you've ever had a broke rib, uh, you immediately sympathize with me. And for those of you that never have, I don't recommend it. Uh, I just think you need to avoid that if you possibly can. So uh, what I'm going to try to do is just kind of sit still. And I, I, the only problem that I'm having right now, other than the fact that, that it's hard to breathe and, and it hurts, um, is that my muscles... Um, want to remind my body that my rib is broken. And every now and then, my muscles will spasm and say, hey, you, your rib's broke. And, um, and I will go, oh, yeah, you're right. So if that happens in the course of my teaching today, it's not the Holy Ghost. Um, I'm not shouting because of that. There's another reason, but, uh, but nonetheless... Uh, we'll make it through together today. If you have your Bible, uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 14. And uh, it, it really got worse yesterday, and I just didn't want to call our guys at last minute and say, step in. I know they would have, but um, I, I just didn't want to do that. So that's why I'm kind of hanging with you today, and everybody's uh, uh, reaching out and helping us through this. Today, uh, in our study through the book of Romans, we have made our way to chapter 14. And one of the things I've told you is that beginning with chapter 12, uh, Paul kind of turns in his teaching style. The first 11 chapters of Roman uh, are pretty doctrinal. He gets into some, some, some deep theology and into the weeds and helping the church at Rome understand some of those principles. And, and then is, is in keeping with Paul's teaching style, uh, he, he now turns the corner and gets practical and says, okay, how do we apply what we have discovered in those first 11 chapters? And so beginning with chapter 12, he kind of turns and talks about a practical application of that. Now, when we come to chapter 14, uh, what he, he does is he helps the church deal with a challenge they're facing. You will remember that the church at Rome was a very diverse congregation. And that diversity had a tendency to create challenges for them. And so what he does in this chapter is he, he offers instructions on how they can maintain unity as a church, even in the midst of such diversity. Um, the, the essence, really, of what he's teaching in chapter 14 is how do you get along with people who have different convictions uh, or opinions than you? Now, understand that in chapter 14, Paul is not talking about those things that are clearly defined in Scripture. Uh, there are some sins that are laid out in Scripture in such clarity, there's no debate. We know the Bible says don't do that or do that. And so there's no room for debate on that. There's no room for uh, missing a, an interpretation of that. But there are areas in our lives that, uh, that we might consider gray areas or areas that the Scriptures do not address up front. 
And, and so how do you deal with that? How, how, how do you, and the way we deal with that is we develop convictions. And what Paul wants us to understand is that uh, our, our convictions, uh, our personal convictions are not scriptural commands. We might have convictions and we live by those, and, and all of us do, but sometimes those convictions are not spiritual commands, and as a result of that, I need to be willing to recognize that some people within the body of Christ have different convictions about the same thing than I do. So how do you navigate those things? And that's what Paul's doing in the text before us. Now, he addresses three basic problems that exist in the church at Rome. He talks about eating meat. He talks about um, wine. And he talks uh, about observing religious holidays. Now, the reason Paul does that is because within the church at Rome, there are two groups of people. There are basically those who have grown up in the Jewish background who have come to faith in Christ. And then there are in the church those who had no religious background at all, and, and they grew up in a pagan environment, and they came to faith in Christ. And so what happened was many of the Jewish believers, having grown up, now, now I want you to think about this, they grew up in a home where they watched their mom every Friday evening light the Shabbat candle at the beginning of the Sabbath. Every day of their life, they practice the dietary um, guidelines of the Old Testament. And so that's the way they lived their life from the time they were children all the way up. Um, and, and so as a result of that, when they became adults and they came to faith in Christ, many of them continued those same practices. Now, they knew that keeping the Sabbath doesn't make you a Christian, but, but they recognized a value for that. And it was something that, that they could connect with in their past. And so they continued to celebrate those, those Sabbath days. And they continued that dietary regulations and restrictions. Now, one of the challenges that happened uh, was that in the same church, there were those who grew up in a pagan background, and hey, Saturday was just Saturday to them. It wasn't the Sabbath day, and so they didn't keep the regulations of the Sabbath, and, and they didn't even know what the dietary restrictions or laws were in the Old Testament. So, man, they, they enjoyed bacon and, and, uh, and you know, a, a good pork chop, and, and they had no problem with that. So all of a sudden, you'd come to a church and we would have a dinner on the ground, and all the pagan believers would bring pork and, and bacon, and all their dishes had bacon sprinkled on top of it. And, and the Jewish people were saying, whoa, what in the world are you doing? How could you do that? That is against the, the laws of God. And so it, it begins to create a rift in the body of Christ. Does that make sense? Now, not only that, add to this that not just avoiding pork, but in Rome, it was often the practice to take meat and offer it to idols. Now, 
If you, you'll see today in the practice of Buddhism, sometimes you'll go and, and there may be a statue of Buddha and people put food out there. And, and the interesting thing about putting food at the, at the statue of Buddha is that he doesn't eat it. You know, it's, it sits there and the idols don't eat. And, but they would offer this meat or they would offer wine to this idol. And as a result, uh, the next day, because the idol didn't eat the meat and didn't drink the wine, um, being in a commercial market, they would say, well, you know what? We can, we can just sell it for a discount uh, since it's, you know, already been out for a little while. And so you could go to the marketplace and you could buy the meat that had been offered to an idol at a reduced rate. You could buy wine that had been placed at the altar at a reduced rate. And Christians in Rome were struggling financially, so they considered, the pagans considered that a, a what a deal. I mean, that's a deal. You're going to do that. And they would buy that meat. So even when they would bring meat that was not pork, meat that might have been allowed under Jewish guidelines, the Jews would say, but I don't know if it was offered to an idol or not. Or you would bring wine, and I don't know if it was offered to an idol or not. And so I'm not going to participate in that, and I'm not going to drink that, and I'm not going to eat that, and I'm not going to take that. And many of them were just kind of forced into a, a vegetarian lifestyle as a result of the challenges that they faced. But now here was the problem. You've got pagans from a pagan background and, and, and Jewish background, and you bring them together in Christ, and they begin to look down upon each other. And, and those from a Jewish background began to look down on the pagans saying, you guys don't, you're, you're not walking with God. You're not honoring God. You're not godly or you would be living this way or you would embrace my convictions. And the pagans were saying, no, that, there's nowhere in the Bible that says that. And, and, and you're, you guys are wrong. You need to let go of that. And so those problems emerged. And that's what Paul's addressing in chapter 14. Now, before we get into that, what he does, and he tells them how to navigate that by giving them some principles. He said, these are principles that kind of guide and govern how we get along with one another uh, when we have these differing convictions. Now, before we get into that, I, I do think we need to ask the question today, though. Uh, well, well, let me mention this to you. Paul, not only that, he does... Uh, also, as you're going to see, he refers to these two different groups of people in an interesting way. He refers to them as strong and as weak. Uh, those who are strong, he says, are the ones who are less easily offended in their conscience. Those who are weak are more easily offended. So he refers to the Jews as, as weak and some of the pagans from a pagan background as, as strong. And, and what he was ultimately saying is this, they were, they're stronger maybe in their understanding of faith and the freedom they have in Christ, but not necessarily stronger in, in the, the actual living out of their faith. And it might be that we could, we could take those words that Paul uses, strong and weak, and, and we could insert this, those who are free and recognize that, that Christ buys freedom and that there's no regulation on pork now, and there's a freedom that I have. Um, and then there's another group of people we could call the wait a minute crowd. So there was the free crowd, and then those that would say, well, wait a minute, 
We need to think about this. We need to, we need to look at this. And I think sometimes we find ourselves today in one of those two crowds. But that would bring me to the question that we have to answer before we look at the principles. Is this still an issue today in the church? And I would suggest that it is. In fact, I think it's bigger today than it was then. Uh, I mean, let's look at the same things. Dietary. Uh, do you know that there are believers who actually believe because they hold to animal rights, they believe that it's wrong to eat meat. And, and they, they are convicted about That's a strong conviction they have. And as a result of that, they have chosen a vegetarian lifestyle. And there are other Christians that that'll eat any kind of meat that, you know, I mean, if it comes through the house and stops, we eat it, you know. Um, and there are Christians that eat any kind of meat. So it's still very much alive today, isn't it? That same argument. And we would have a tendency if we eat anything to say, well, what's wrong with you? That you don't see that you can eat that. And so the dietary thing is still real. How about holidays? Do you, do you know that there are Christians who do not celebrate Christmas at all? who say that, you know, it's wrong to celebrate the 25th of, of December. It's, we know it wasn't the day that Jesus was born. Why don't we do that? Why don't you put up Christmas trees? Why don't you do, all, it, I mean, there's so many pagan connotations to that, that, that I'm not going to do that. And there are Christians that are convicted. They have strong convictions that we're not going to celebrate Christmas. We're not going to have Christmas trees. We're not going to do Santa Claus and Elf on the Shelf and all those kinds of things. And yet at the same time, we've got other Christians in the church who, my goodness alive, it, it, it looks like, you know, that, that Chevy Chase movie where you've got, you know, lights all over the place. Um, and you've got both of them that exist within the body of Christ. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't long ago that Christmas was on a Sunday. And do you know that there were some churches that had services, multiple services on Christmas Eve and chose not to have church on Sunday at all? And all of a sudden, the Christian community went wild. It was like, how dare you? You ungodly bunch of people. Who are you as a church and who are you as a pastor? You canceled church on Sunday. Shame on you. How can you do that? And there are those that had convictions that said, well, wait a minute. The Bible doesn't say when we are to meet and how we are together. It just says we are to do that. We had five services yesterday. But do you understand the division that seems to happen? Alcohol is still an issue today. There are some that believe that it's wrong to consume alcohol. Others that would say, well, no, the Bible condemns drunkenness, but not, not the use of alcohol in, in, in moderation. How about education? There are some Christians that are passionate about homeschool, passionate about Christian schools, even to the point that they would say to you, if you don't put your children in, in, in homeschool or in a Christian school, you're, you're wrong. You should never put them in public school. And then there are other Christians that are not convicted by that at all. And they would say, you know what? I'm going to put my children in public school. I'm going to teach them the, the, the scriptural things at home. And they got to learn how to deal with people that are far from God anyway. And I'm going to put them there. And you've got people within the body of Christ who hold deeply to these different convictions. Sometimes we see it in entertainment. Sometimes we'll go see an R-rated movie and some people won't. 
There's conviction that goes along with that. With music, there are some things that we listen to and some things we don't think you should be listening to. And we each hold those convictions. And then finally, sometimes I think in our world today, there are boycotts that happen. And all of a sudden, we're going to boycott Disney and you can't go there. We're going to boycott Target and you can't go there. And there's some Christians that have deep convictions about that and other Christians that don't. Well, who's right? Well, what Paul says is that within the body of Christ, when the scriptures don't speak to those kinds of issues, we develop convictions and we hold to those convictions. So how do we navigate that? That's what chapter 14 is all about. Well, with that in mind, let's look together at chapter 14 and, um, and we're going to see uh, these principles as they unfold. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll read enough of it that we can kind of uh, get an, uh, a gist of what's going on. Paul begins in verse 1, now accept the one. I, I like the translation that sometimes says welcome. The word accept can also be translated welcome. Now accept or welcome the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. God has welcomed him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand. For the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. He who eats does it for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to the Lord. For not, not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But, but you, why do you judge your brother? Or are you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue give praise to God. So then, each one of us will give an account for himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather to determine not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way, I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. Well, let's just stop there. Paul offers such great insight for us in a world that is so divided. 
And what he's ultimately saying is that it's not unusual for the world to be divided, but it shouldn't be that way in the church. We've got to be in a position where we respect and honor each other even when we share convictions that are different. Now, he gives us in this chapter five principles that I want to share with you. The first principle that he gives us, and we'll just kind of walk through them and see how, how they flesh out in our life. The first principle that I see in the beginning of the chapter is there in verse 1 and, and verse 3 and on down in, in even in chapter 15, verse 7, where he says that we are to welcome uh, the people that God welcomes into the family of God. In, in other words, the principle is simply this. God, God's welcome demands my welcome. If God welcomes somebody, then it demands that I welcome them. Paul says we are to welcome one another. The strong or the free are to welcome the weak or the wait-a-minute crowd. We don't get to pick who is a part of the family. God picks who's a part of the family. And he brings to the family those that are diverse and unique and different than we are. And, and many of them that he brings to the family do not share our convictions about everything. But it's not okay for any of us to think or to treat someone as less because they don't share our convictions. And we have a tendency to do that, to look down on one or make them feel bad uh, because they don't share our convictions. What Paul is ultimately saying is they that don't eat meat or drink wine, we don't get to roll our eyes at them and look at them with disdain as if they are less than we are in their walk with God. He's ultimately saying it's okay for you to treat someone, it's okay for you to treat them as equal. It's not okay for you to treat someone as less godly because they do things that you don't in those gray areas. That if you deal with a person who celebrates Christmas and, and we didn't even talk about Easter and Easter eggs and all of those kinds of things that sometimes separate us. If we have differences of opinion, we don't get to treat others as second rate or ungodly. So what he's ultimately saying with the first principle is stop judging and harassing and condemning one another. And in place of that, he brings us to the second principle. And the second principle is this. Jesus is Lord and you are not. It seems like the first half of this chapter, what Paul does is he reminds us that Jesus is Lord and we are not. And we have to be reminded of that. The big picture, really, of that first half is that Jesus is Lord. And he would ask the question, and because he's Lord, who are you to judge? Who are you to look at the convictions that another person has and say that they are right or they are wrong? Each one of us answers to God. The Lord has children who are different in convictions, and ultimately he is saying, hey, he's in charge. Let him deal with that. And I would tell you, by the way, that 
that God's pretty good at dealing with that. He's the one who brings about the convictions in our hearts and he knows us individually and the challenges that we face and some of us because of the background that we have had as we grow up, those convictions become strong and God works in those. None of us, what he's saying is ultimately this, none of us get to do our own thing. Jesus is the boss. So we all have to do what we do to honor him. He reminds us that we belong to Jesus, we answer to him, and so we let him deal with those issues. Since he is Lord, we're to live for him in those areas that are clear, and the things he tells us to do, we do. The things he tells us not to do, we don't. And in the areas where we're not sure, where it's not clear and the Bible doesn't speak, we seek in those gray areas of our life to honor him in everything we do. And in every decision that we make, those convictions are based on the fact that with a grateful heart, I wanna honor God and do what I think would be pleasing to him. And seek his direction in the decisions that I make. The, the third principle that he offers to us is that I should seek to build up, not to tear down. The last half of the chapter deals with how we are to steward the freedom that we have in building others up. Paul said we're free to have different convictions, but because we are free to have different convictions, we sometimes yield to that temptation to look down on others who feel differently than we do. And he says, Here, here's the deal. Rather than, than being a stumbling block to someone, be a stepping stone. The, the, the thing that should govern our life with regard to the relationship that we have with one another is that we treat one another in such a way that we build each other up rather than tear each other down. Have you ever noticed how long it takes to build a building and how quickly they come down? All of us have seen those pictures of the demolition of these big skyscrapers. It wasn't that many years ago. We saw that happen in Dallas and, and it was recorded live. And, 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 and in a matter of moments, this massive tall building can be reduced to rubble in, in, in a matter of moments. But it took years to build that thing. It takes years to build up. It takes moments to tear down. And Paul says, I want you guys to, to recognize that each one of us have unique convictions. Be careful how we steward our convictions. Be careful to recognize that they're ours and they don't belong to everybody else. And, and, and we're careful to acknowledge and we are to protect the convictions of other people. He begins to talk more and more about how to protect the convictions of other people. And in verse 13 down through verse 19, he says that we are to respect those convictions. And, and, and really he's talking about doing something that causes spiritual harm or that would get another person to embrace your conviction. He said, it's not your job to get them to see things the way you see it. It's your job to accept them where they are. See, we come from different backgrounds. I came from a background. I grew up, my mom and dad were the wait-a-minute group. I mean, every, every issue was a wait-a-minute group. And the convictions that they had that they taught me as a child. I, and, and in fact, I don't share some of those convictions today. 
but it wasn't because somebody chided me or, or shamed me. It was because I began to work through those areas in my own life. Give you an example of what I'm talking about. I grew up in a rural area. My dad was a pastor of small churches, and, and um, Sunday was a day of rest for us. And um, I remember when I was a teenager and had my first car, and uh, man, you know, you couldn't let a drop of dust get on that first car. You know what I'm talking about? You're washing it every other day. If a bird flies over, you just have to wash the whole car inside and out. And, and so, man, I, I, I always kept that car looking good. And I remember one day when I decided I was going to wash it on a Sunday afternoon. Well, why not? Well, my dad quickly told me, because that's work. You don't work on Sunday. And I'm thinking, that's not work. I'm washing a car. I'm not getting paid for it. It's not something, you know, is it? but no. But you know what? Long as I lived in dad's house, guess what? No, we didn't. Uh, I, I was a hunter when I was growing up. We lived out in the woods. And man, I'd get up in the morning and go hunting and come back. And, and I wanted to get up on Sunday morning and go hunting because church didn't start till 10 o'clock. Man, I'd be done by then. I could go hunt. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because it's a Sunday, and we don't do that on Sunday. And so those convictions that I grew up with became, guess what? As a young adult, they became my own. And then I began to struggle through, not because I was shamed, but struggle through those areas to come to my own conclusion. And it brings us to the next principle. And the next principle that Paul would give us is this. My personal convictions matter. You and I need to be people that are governed by conviction. I'm not saying convictions are wrong. I'm saying that we may have different convictions. But we need to be governed by our convictions. In the areas where the scripture doesn't speak, we develop convictions. And so Paul says, hey, convictions matter. So this is what he says. If you are convicted that something is wrong, don't be ashamed of that. Hold on to that. And that becomes the conviction by which you live your life. But if another person doesn't share that conviction, that's okay. You don't have to you don't have to compromise your conviction to meet theirs. They don't have to compromise their conviction to meet yours. You hold to that conviction. That's why Paul says, if a meat eater or any other person has doubt, then you sin. Paul said, and this is kind of interesting, he says, if you are doing something that is not sin, it's, it's not wrong to do that, but you think it is wrong. I mean, let's get back to the, to the Easter egg thing. If you're a person that believes that, that, that the Easter is, is the celebration of the sun God and, and that Passover is the day that we should be celebrating and, and looking to and, and, and recognizing the resurrection, and so you don't want to do the Easter egg thing and the rabbit thing, and, and you don't want to be a part of that, well, don't do it. It's okay. And what he's saying is your convictions matter. Hold to those convictions. Be a person of conviction. But if other people hold to different convictions, that's okay. And that's why Paul says it, it may not be wrong to hide Easter eggs. 
It may not be wrong to buy a chocolate bunny for your kids, but if you think it's wrong and you think it's sin, guess what? For you it is. Now, that seems strange, but to really put it in perspective for us, I love what J.D. Greer said with regard to this. He kind of put it in terms I could, I could grasp. When he said this, um, if, if something is not sinful, but in my heart I think it is, and I do it anyway, and I do it because I feel pressure from other people that they need to do it, or I just even have an attitude that says, you know what, I'm just going to give it a whirl. Um, he says, it's a sin. Why is it a sin? If it's not wrong, but I kind of feel like it's wrong, and I do it anyway. He said, to do it anyway is a sin, and this is why. He said, because what you are doing is you are revealing a heart that is willing to rebel against God. What you're revealing is a heart that says, if God told me that that is wrong, I'm willing to give it a shot anyway. Well, if you think it's wrong, don't do it. And it doesn't matter what other people are doing. Be a person who lives by your conviction. And understand this, over time, sometimes those convictions change. My convictions as a young man have changed through the years as I have looked into Scripture, but my personal convictions matter, and I have personal convictions. There are things that I, that my convictions govern my life in areas where the Bible doesn't say, and this is the way it is. And my sons will tell you when they grew up, this is the way it is in my house. Now, I don't care what you do at your house, but you come to my house, this is the way it is. These are the convictions I live by. Well, the final thing that I want you to notice is, is this. The last principle. Paul says, in all things, strive to be like Jesus. Now, in striving to be like Jesus, he helps us understand how to deal with people who have different convictions. And, and this is really powerful because the attitude of Jesus is always one that bears with one another, right? And this is what Paul says. The strong... He uses the word strong and weak. The strong are to bear with the weak. Now, the reason I think that's so powerful is because it goes against the grain of what happens in the world. Because in the world we live in, the strong always overpowers the weak. The world we live in, the strong always win. And Paul said, that's not the way it is in the church. In the body of Christ, the one thing that makes us different than everybody else is those that are strong in faith don't run over the people that are weak in faith. And that's why he says, and, and it, it's just food. And if eating a pork chop is going to cause the person who is your brother in Christ to struggle why would you eat a pork chop? Who cares? It's just food. 
Your brother is worth so much more than that. And so Paul says the attitude of Christ is to respect the convictions of others, even to the point that if I don't share your conviction, it's fine. And if that's the way you live your life and choose, to, I, I will support you in that. And when I'm around you, I'll be careful and cognizant of that. And I'm not going to cause you to struggle. So he causes that weaker brother. And I think the reason he, he talks about the weaker brother and the stronger brother is because in the world that we live in today, the strong always overpower the weak. But in the church, he said, it's the other way around. Those of us that are free, we can do whatever we want. We know it's not wrong. It's not a matter of right and wrong. It's a matter of building up the body of Christ, loving people where they are, as they are, not in an effort to bring them around to my side, but to recognize God may have given them those convictions for a reason. And if they're God-given convictions, then they need to hold to them. And we need to support them. And even as we have them, we are to do the same. That is the Jesus way. But let me say this to you. You can't do it Jesus way if you don't know Jesus. <laughs> the first step Paul established early on in the book of Romans is to acknowledge that we need Jesus. We are sinners separated from God. And we can't save ourselves. You're not going to heaven because you're Baptist or Methodist or Catholic or any other denomination. You're not going to heaven because you've been baptized. In fact, none of us deserve heaven because we are sinners separated from God. But God loved us. And he came to do for us and Jesus what we couldn't do for ourselves. He made a way that where there was no way that we could find forgiveness and, and, and a new beginning. He came as our Savior. And when we accept him as our Savior and turn from our sin and repentance, we're able to uh, place our trust in him and begin our walk with him. Well, how do we deal with the differences in the church? We, we welcome those that God has welcomed. We remember Jesus as Lord, not me. We build each other up, not tear each other down. We recognize that our convictions matter. Mine matter and yours matter. And I strive to be like Jesus in the way that we handle the relationship that we have with each other. That's what Paul, the power of the Holy Spirit, is challenging us to do today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the message you have given us today, the opportunity to respond to its truth. Thank you, Father, that, uh, that there are those listening who, who maybe you as a Holy Spirit is speaking to right now that have never made a decision to receive you as Savior. And today is the day for them. And I pray that today they would offer this simple prayer. God, I know I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I give you my life. Come into my life. Be my Savior and my Lord. And maybe for those of us that are Christians, Father, I pray that you would help us to hold tight to the convictions that we have been given by you and to examine those constantly so that we can live as you have called us to, but to be respectful of others who have different convictions. 
so that the world will look at us and say, wow, that's what love really looks like. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.